Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the FACT Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am FACT's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we enjoy today's podcast, I just want to pause and say thank you to Genentech for sponsoring the FACT's Roundtable podcast. It may take years until we fully understand the impact of the pandemic, but as we heal and move through this next phase, we are determined to come out stronger. So we're sitting down with FACTS Director of Behavioral Health, Emory Brown, to explore the impact of the shutdown on our self-advocacy, finding solutions and balance while living with food allergies and other related conditions. Welcome back, Emery, to Facts Roundtable podcast. You always leave us feeling uplifted and feeling good. I always am just filled with hope after we have our talks. Well, thank you, Caroline. I'm so glad to be back. Well, we're happy to have you here. Before we get started, though, can you share with listeners your background as a professional and as a patient living with food allergies? Absolutely. So I am Facts Director of Behavioral Health. I also am a school psychologist. I have my master's in school psychology as well as an education specialist degree in school psychology. So I love all things mental health, self-care, coping skills, anything that has to do with behavioral health. That's my sweet spot. I also happen to have food allergies myself. I'm allergic to all dairy, fish, peanuts, and seeds. And how old were you when you were diagnosed? Oh, great question. I was diagnosed when I was six months old, and I've also outgrown allergies to eggs and shellfish. So this is a lifelong process for you. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's important for listeners. I know we have a lot of parents of people with food allergies listening, maybe some teens and young adults, as well as adults that are living with food allergies themselves. But a lot of the times for our parents listening, we don't think about the fact that kids with food allergies grow up to be adults with food allergies. And it's really a lifelong journey. And they grow up to be fantastic adults living out their life and their dreams, just like you are. And just like everyone, food allergies are not, but thank you, Caroline. (laughs) You're welcome. When the pandemic hit, the many opportunities for food allergy self-advocacy disappeared because we were at home or we were in these very limited capacities. And even now, as we move through the different phases of the pandemic, our interactions with each other have definitely changed. Can you discuss how being shut in for an extended period of time might have impacted people living with food allergies or other food-related conditions? Absolutely. So I do not have the statistic on how many allergic reactions happened during the pandemic, but I would assume it was a lot less. Safety was probably at an all-time high when we were in our homes during the pandemic. Some of us are still in our homes now, but we were eating our own food. We were likely buying locally. Some people were even learning to cook bread. I know that was a hot topic, a hot hobby during the pandemic. But while we were growing in these different hobbies and skills and staying safe with inside of our homes, 
there are some lagging skills that are going to come out of the pandemic, which some of those lagging skills might be our self-advocacy. It might be dining out. It might be managing our fruit allergies the way that we used to, that we've forgotten. In the school setting, we talk a lot about how kids are losing social skills and that there's deficits for teens even, especially our younger generation that are just coming to school for the first time who are in second grade but have only had a half a year of school, like actual school. So just like they have these lagging social skills, we have kids with food allergies and a whole generation of food allergy families that are lacking skills to manage food allergy life in the real world. And whether that's because they've never had to because their child maybe had a diagnosis during the beginning of the pandemic, or maybe it's just because they're in those formative years where you really need reminders often about how to manage your food allergies because you're still learning it. And we've all kind of let that get on the back burner because parents maybe had fully taken over advocating or they didn't even have to because they were home. So they might have not been reviewing reading labels because they knew everything was coming from themselves. We're now having this generation that maybe have regressed in skills or just have never adopted those skills in the first place. And this is really important as obviously we're still in the midst of a pandemic, but in many parts of the US, restrictions in different areas are lifting. So even I know the school I work at, kids are still socially distanced at lunch, but they're still having lunch. There's talk of these different restrictions lifting as well, which means that for those of you that are sending your kids to in-person school, the lunchroom might be opening up again. The hand-washing rigorous requirement that kept your kids safe after lunch might be loosening up as well because these weren't food allergy practices, even though they should have been, they were pandemic practices. The wiping of the lunch tables, I mean, of course, that was always happening, but not with always the thoroughness and the rigor that it was during the pandemic. So a lot of these things are going away or they're not going to be enforced. So it's time to re-educate yourself and re-educate your kids. But this can be made fun, right? So a lot of the times when I come on this podcast, I talk about how deep conversations, big conversations, educational conversations don't have to be serious and strict. Your kids are going to check out of that. You can make it fun. You can have a family meeting. My mom always would hold expired EpiPens and have us shoot them in fruit to practice. You can have different fun with it and then maybe play a game that your family likes or just do something fun after it or make your kid's favorite meal and then start talking about food allergies. Incentivize it, if you will, for them to check into the conversation because we all know that kids' mindsets aren't always on it. We have to train them to get there. As different things reopen, sign up for camps, sign up for webinars, sign up for retreats. FACT has numerous ones that are coming back in person this year and online. So whatever your comfort level is, both of those options will be available to you. Come to those things because your skills and your children's skills need to be brushed up on. Don't assume that your child continue to remember the skills if they didn't have to use it. Just like if we don't use our muscles, we're not going to the gym lifting weights or if we're not running, we're not gonna be able to run as long the next time. Our muscles atrophy if they're not used. And that's the same with our food allergy skills. We may have not had to use them in over two years, so they're atrophied, they're weak, and in some cases they might not even be there. So we're gonna have to do the work and the building and it's not gonna just happen in a day. You're not just gonna attend one webinar or have one conversation and that muscle is back to being full power, being able to lift a 45 pound dumbbell. It's gonna be a five pound dumbbell and then a 10 and then a 15 and a 30 before we get to that 45. So it's important to make sure you don't just have one conversation but that you have many and you're keeping a pulse on what your school's doing and what your friends are up to so that you can move with that shifting environment. This is amazing information. 
we've been enjoying the benefits of the extra cleaning, of the hand washing. And I love the example of the muscle memory. That is exactly what's happening. We have to bring those muscles back and we have to bring back all those ways that we used to handle ourselves to stay safe at school. 100%. I'm sure, Caroline, you've heard the stories of athletes maybe having an injury and suffering that muscle atrophy, but a lot of the times they always say they come back stronger. So we can come back stronger, more focused, and ready to advocate to maybe even see if we can keep some of these policies that have benefited the food allergy community within schools, within restaurants, within communities, to see if we can keep those. You know, you never know. That optimism's good positive and powerful advice. Thank you. So now let's talk about travel. As we continue to move through the pandemic, we're also now starting to expand our traveling and activities. We're starting to go to weddings and conferences, and there are a lot of larger events returning that we're going to need to leave our homes, even our community to get to. So what are some tools that we can use tapping into that muscle memory you just talked about But what tools can we use to get back into feeling fully comfortable advocating for ourselves and moving through this? And also, can you address how to approach family and friends? Because it's been a long time. And I know even for myself, I feel awkward and almost demanding when I'm re-educating them where Mm. two years ago, they knew exactly how to handle us visiting, but it's been two years. And so how do we handle that delicately? Right. So those are two great questions. To address the first question, I'd say some of the best tools are the basic tools. So just kind of a reminder not to forget the basics. Have a card ready with your food allergies listed on it. If you're going to a place that maybe speaks other languages or traveling abroad, make sure that you have a card in that language as well. But even just a card that has your food allergies that you can hand to a waiter or hand to a hotel can be incredibly important. Explore safe restaurants. Call before you go, check out menus online, call hotels online, see what safety practices they're using. So even though we know the pandemic's always changing, and if anything we've learned in the past two years is we can't always plan and expect those plans to go through exactly how we imagine them. So as long as you have some flexibility within your mind, you can try your best to plan. But we want to make sure to plan in advance so you're not going in blind and that you're prepared. Like you're saying, if you're going to a wedding or going to another event, can you safely go to it or do you need to bring? We've all been there where we've packed a protein bar or granola bar that doesn't have our allergens and we're ready for that event. So go back to the basics of being ready for those different scenarios because even myself being home a lot, when I've started to go to different things like weddings or family events, I have been so used to being able to eat everything because I've been in my home and there have been times I haven't brought a snack, which is something that I've always done in the past because my mindset in the past was just always assume you're not going to be able to eat. And of course, it's a happy surprise if you can eat or obviously if you're close to someone, they're going to make sure that you can eat. But even I have at times forgotten those little things and certainly been hungry as a result. So don't forget the basics. And then as far as re-educating family and friends, so important. And I could see how you and probably a lot of our other listeners feel like it's a demand. I really want to emphasize that it's not a demand. People that love you want to make sure that you're safe. And if anybody in your life is viewing it as controlling or as a demand, then that's really more about them than it is about you. And so it's not demanding. It's actually a necessity, I would go as far as to say, right? And family will understand it. I would say... Draft a text, draft it before you send it, and 
phrase it as a reminder rather than necessarily a re-education, even though that's what it is. But you can say, hey, grandma, just wanted to send you a current list of my food allergies. List them out, dairy, peanuts, whatever it might be. So excited to see you. Just wanted to double check that everything will be free from X, Y, Z. And please save the labels or whatever it is that's important for you. You know, for me, I'm not going to feel comfortable even if it is my grandmother or my mom unless I'm also reading the labels. And that's me. You might have a different policy, but you can phrase it in excitement by hitting all the different checklist items that you want to see done. And then you could even say, any questions? So that someone doesn't have to feel bad that maybe they forgot your allergies because they haven't had to cook for you in two years. So it really might be too that they don't want to ask a question because they feel bad that they forgot this. And I'm sure that's happened to a lot of us where different family members might have offered you something and it can feel like an attack or it can feel hurtful, but we have to put in the mindset of the only people that really have to have their allergies on the forefront all the time is the person with the food allergies. And when they're young, maybe the parent of the person of those with food allergies. But for everyone else, they're not living it day in and day out. And for people that love you, they don't want to exclude you. Um, They want to include you. For two years, having to only include their immediate family, they may have questions, they may have forgot. So if you give them that information upfront so that you don't have to be combative or be shocked that there wasn't something on the menu, I think that could be the best thing. So whether it's a text or a phone call or an email, phrase it as a positive. Hey, I just wanted to send you my current list of food allergies. Do you have any questions? I know it's been a long time. You can say these kind of things and make the person feel comfortable just like you like people to make you feel comfortable. That's great advice in terms of communication, helping them feel comfortable so then we feel comfortable. I love that. Staying on travel, a friend of mine had shared that during the pandemic, they haven't traveled for two years, but now they have some upcoming trips planned. And of course, the family manages food allergies. She shared with me that she just doesn't know how to feel comfortable again traveling while keeping her family safe. Because, you know, we go through lots of different protocols and things to get on an airplane or get on public transportation. So she's feeling a little anxious and out of practice. What advice would you have for her? So that's a great question. For her, and if she's tuning in, the anxiety is reasonable. And we've talked about it here in the past, but it's because when it comes to anxiety, a lot of the times people are anxious about things that won't come to pass. Um, And that's why they can easily go to counseling and work through that. But for people with food allergies, the anxiety attached to the threat is not perceived. It's real. And the pandemic hasn't changed that. The threat of the pandemic may be waning in certain parts of the U.S. as things open up, but the threat of allergens has not changed and will not change. Travel has changed, dining has changed, but the threat of allergens and food allergies hasn't changed. So if you're out of practice, my best advice would be to practice. We often talk a lot about role-playing with kids or teens when it comes to things like bullying or how to go to a dining experience and talk about their allergens. But for adults listening, don't you role play before you go to a job interview? I know that I did. I had my husband pretend to ask me questions and I would answer them. So there is no harm in taking it back to the basics as we talked about in questions before. You don't have to be a kid to role play and practice and feel more confident. Adults role play in many things too, and we can certainly role play when it comes to managing our allergies as well. Also review your standards. While there's a lot of different standards that I'm sure the food allergy community can agree on, 
we all have a different measure of what works for our family and what's important when it comes to say dining out or traveling. Is it important for you to always talk to the chef or manager? That's just one example. Don't lose your standards because traveling and dining has changed. Just to use a personal example, I've been to restaurants I used to go to a lot and frequent a lot before the pandemic that say they can no longer bring out the chef or manager due to staffing issues. And I know that for anybody listening, the service industry is understaffed, they're underemployed, there's signs everywhere. So there's a lot of respect that I send out to those that are working in that industry, and especially those working to keep people with food allergies safe. But the bottom line is if the chef or manager can't come out for me, I can't go. So that's a standard that I'm not willing to bend on just because the nature of dining and travel has changed. So that might mean that I need to call new restaurants and find new safe places, which I certainly have. That's something to keep in mind too. If you're traveling to a place you have before, it might not look the same. Structurally, the buildings might be there, but it really might not be the same. So having that kind of flexibility beforehand to look into these things so that when you get in the situation where you're at the restaurant and the chef won't come out, you're not feeling this anxiety, right? You're gonna still call ahead even if it's a safe restaurant because you have to assume at this point, if you're starting to go out and dine again, you're reestablishing safe restaurants, right? You're probably not a known customer anymore like you were before the pandemic. Management might have changed. So you're going to be reestablishing safe restaurants, which I know is kind of hard to hear because a lot of us are really attached to our safe restaurants, myself included. And it can be tough to go out there and feel like you have to do that again, but it's possible. And when it comes to traveling and dining out, whether you're traveling or staying home, it's going to be important to do that. I'm glad you brought up food industry and eating out because it really has changed. They are short-staffed. They're real supply chain issues. I know a lot of students are having a hard time at college. And so it is really good to just come in with a fresh eye. And like you said, with that problem-solving spirit and our standards and keeping those standards up and just zigging and zagging a little. Yes, absolutely. For sure. Which is, again, why the different kind of coping strategies we talk about are important too, because, you know, we have to be able to breathe in and breathe out and go with the flow. A lot of food allergy families are planners, which I personally think is a great thing, but we're going to have to have that flexibility. And if we don't have it, we're going to have to grow it. Again, beautiful advice. Now, in past podcasts, you provided some of the best tips for managing the last two years, which positively impacted my family. Yes, I'm a huge fan. What do you suggest going forward this year and how to find balance as our world continues to change daily during the pandemic? You just mentioned flexibility. Well, first of all, thank you, Caroline. And two, yes, so flexibility will be a huge part of balance because again, the pandemic, if it taught us anything, it taught us that things do not always go the way that we plan them. And one of the major ways I would have used to say is a good way to find balance would be to plan different things. That's no longer my number one suggestion because balance isn't a goal. It's an ongoing process. So we're going to continually look for that balance. We're never going to just reach it and achieve it. And okay, now we have balance. We're going to continue to kind of ebb and flow with balance and find balance and make balance. So something that my husband and I did this year when we established some goals for the year is we didn't call them goals. We called them goal posts because they're things we want to aim for and we don't want to feel that pressure if we don't achieve them, right? We want to just set our intentions in a direction to aim for it. So that would be my first suggestion in finding balance. What are your goal posts that you're aiming for? Is it more time with family? Is it more time to, you know, work on growing your career? Is it 
wanting to better a hobby or join a club or whatever it might be, but set up your goalposts so that you can fix your aim and then you can kind of build your balance out from there. So make room for margin. We had so much of it during the pandemic and a lot of us are having a hard time parting with it. I know there's a lot of employees that are going back to work in the office. A lot of people that I'm friends with are headed back to the office. They're moving away from the online work and hybrid work into either more hybrid work or going back full time. So they're losing that margin of maybe the commute. Maybe they're losing that margin of a nice lunch hour where they don't have to feel rushed or to do work because they're at home. But I'm going to say, do whatever you need to do to figure out how to keep margin. So maybe it's taking something away, saying no to what you need to say no to, and a resounding yes to the things you want to say yes to. So maybe it's waking up an hour earlier, or maybe you need more margin for sleep. So you're going to bed an hour earlier, not waking up an hour earlier. So rework it and find that margin again. The second thing for balance is keep up your awareness, your self-awareness, and be honest with yourself. So be honest when you're taking on too much. Be honest when you're being lazy. Keep your awareness about what you're doing because that margin can quickly turn into wasted time. Time that you enjoy wasted is never wasted time, as they say. Again, if we're setting those intentions toward a goalpost, then we're gonna be able to be successful. But keep your awareness about what you're doing. And then practice acceptance. This is something that we've had to do again a lot during the pandemic, except the way that things might not have been exactly how we thought they were going to be, whether we lost a job or we delayed a marriage or whatever it might be, practice accepting how things are, practice accepting where you're at, practice accepting who you are. And that's going to help you find balance because you're going to feel that you're a lot more satisfied. And then lastly is to stay present, you know, avoid distractions, whether that's social media or TV. And I'm not saying to avoid it completely. I'm just saying if it's keeping you out of the present, then it needs to take a pause. A lot of people are on their phones while they're in conversations. And I'm sure that we've all been guilty of it or talking while scrolling. But the less present we are, the less productive we are and the less we're able to build meaningful interactions and meaningful relationships. So if you start taking a little bit of that away, I think you'll find relationally, you'll be a lot more balanced. So those are my top tips on keeping that balance. And I believe if we all, again, keep working hard towards it and setting our intention towards it, then we'll be able to achieve it. You mentioned just a moment ago, margin. Can you explain what margin is? I have to confess, I never heard that term until this last year, and I actually read a book on margin. But if you can maybe discuss this a little farther with our listeners, what it means. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'd certainly love to hear about what book you read, Caroline. But for me, putting margin as simple as I can, margin is making room. Margin is making room where you didn't have it before, not being overscheduled, not being overbooked. It might look like 30 minutes on the calendar. That's free and extend that into whatever you want. I just mentioned more margin for sleep, maybe more margin in the morning for reading or praying or whatever it is that you find peace for. But margin needs to be intentional. So if you want margin to be something that's gonna add to your life and is gonna help you do that self-care and care for yourself, then it needs to be specific. So if your goalpost this year is to spend more quality time with your children, That's not that specific. It would be more useful to say, I'm going to spend an hour alone with each child sometime this week. So margin needs to be directed. So create that margin in whatever way you can, but be specific and intentional about it so that it can act as self-care and can actually add to your life rather than just falling into the void of time as things so often do. Thank you for that fabulous explanation. I actually probably should have just asked you the question instead of reading a whole book on it. 
Well, we're at the end of our time together. Is there any parting words you might have for listeners today? I just like to remind everybody to relax, take those deep breaths, and that they'll be able to get through it. We're in a whole new world and exploring things that maybe we've never explored or for the first time, like we said, for a lot of our listeners that might be just hopping on this food allergy journey, but it's completely doable. And like I said earlier, we're going to come back stronger. We're going to come back better. And hopefully we'll be able to keep a lot of these practices that have been endorsed during the pandemic, like extra hand washing. I'm excited personally to see where the world will go from here, especially for the food allergy community. So continue to advocate, continue to practice those skills, and we'll go for it together. Thank you, Emery. Fabulous words of wisdom. Again, I always feel so joyful at the end of these conversations because you provide us with these very, very actionable tools. So I appreciate your time and look forward to having you back on the show again. Same. Talk to you soon. Before we sign off today, I just want to take one more moment to say thank you to Genentech for sponsoring FACTS Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to FACTS Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.